a woman picks up a guitar, checks her set list, and starts strumming. Within seconds, her young audience is singing along. Not only do they know the words to every song, they have carefully choreographed moves to match. The mosquito sees them mimic a blood-sucking insect. The train song has them pretending to toot the horn of a locomotive. And the snowman sees everyone fall to the floor as though melting into a puddle. But the big hit is the pirate song, a swashbuckling sea shanty, or at least as swashbuckling as 75 Danish toddlers can get. We are a gang, a really dangerous gang, they screech, their tiny hands holding imaginary swords or bottles of rum. Welcome to Archipelago, a podcast about arts, culture, and ideas in Denmark. I'm your host, James Clasper, and consider this the coronavirus episode. You see, if you live in Denmark, you'll doubtless be aware that the country's nurseries, kindergartens, and primary schools reopened in mid-April, after a nationwide lockdown lasting about a month. And so, to mark the return to normality, or at least some small semblance of it. I'm also going back to kindergarten. While in part two, I'll be visiting a unique Danish hotel, one that offers the ideal antidote to anyone craving a little post-corona isolation. Tre Krona Bernehus is an integrated nursery and kindergarten about 30 kilometers west of Copenhagen. Every Friday morning, its 80 children and 18 staff gather on the ground floor to belt out a medley of Danish nursery rhymes. Of course, everyone knows that young children love singing. But what makes Tre Krona so special is that it's been certified a song kindergarten, a preschool where singing has a central role and where staff are trained accordingly. To put it another way, it's... An institution that can do and will uh, do something um, extraordinary with singing uh, in the everyday life of, uh, of the kindergarten. Jakob Heider Madsen is a project leader at Sangens Hus, a non-profit organisation that promotes singing in Denmark, particularly among children and young people. So they want to uh, put uh, singing back on the on the schedule, um, and they want to uh, to make it uh, make it better. To that end, four years ago, Sangens Hus launched Sanglau, a nationwide scheme to increase and improve singing in Danish preschools. Sangens Hus initially approached municipalities and kindergartens across Denmark, but in time, individual preschools got in touch with it directly to seek certification. Sangens Hus has received over 20 million kroner, almost 3 million US dollars, in funding, the majority of it from the Nordea Foundation, and it has since certified 112 song kindergartens. But what exactly does certification involve? 
that you have for singing uh, as a part of the structure in the day, in the everyday life, in the week, in the month, in the year. It has to be uh, clear how the singing is uh, implemented uh, in the everyday life. And it has to be uh, all, all groups and all adults. That's former opera singer Ulla Christensen, a consultant with Sangenshus. She spends 20 to 30 days working with each preschool seeking certification as a song kindergarten. There is um, a lot of singing, and singing is a part of the structure in the day. And uh, there is much more quality in the singing, and the adults have more awareness of what they're doing and what they will uh, get out of it. <laughs> At Trey Krona, Christensen helped create a culture in which children are encouraged to sing throughout the day. Sing-alongs are a big part of that strategy. Besides attending the weekly sessions, the children sing together within their respective age groups every morning. Also part of the strategy, inspirational decor. Stickers of treble clefs and quavers cover the floor. The lyrics of the school song snake around the lobby. There are less subtle prompts too, like the sign above the soap dispensers displaying the words to the hand-washing song, to be sung to the tune of Frère Jacques. The result? Children at Trecrona sing more than their peers at regular preschools. In particular, say teaching assistants, there is much more spontaneous singing, such as when the children arrive in the morning, when they let off steam outside, and best of all, when they finish lunch. That's Tak Famel, a song that sets the tune of Row, Row, Row Your Boat to the customary Danish way of expressing thanks for a tasty meal. According to Madsen, while there's no direct inspiration for Sanglo, nor any pedagogical theory underpinning it. There's, of course, a lot of theoretical evidence that, uh, that, that, that singing um, or working with, with cultural uh, different areas works uh, with kids in, in many different ways, um, development-wise. Trey Corona is a case in point. The institution applied to join the three-year Sanglau scheme in 2017 and was certified the following year. And according to staff there, its rich singing culture benefits children in several ways, from the development of their linguistic and gross motor skills to their improved behaviour and personal development. In fact, one teaching assistant there told me that singing helps noisy kids calm down and that the level of conflict between the children is lower because of the singing. While Sanglo hasn't been studied yet and evidence of its success remains anecdotal, Madsen says there's been a strong demand for it, from preschool teachers in particular. It is a big paradox that a lot of um, kindergarten teachers or kindergartens, they say we work with this, but at the same time we acknowledge that we actually don't have enough uh, knowledge to work with this because we don't get it from our education. In Denmark, teachers get very little training in music when they qualify, and Madsen says they want to learn more about how they can use singing every day. That task now falls to Ulla Christensen, the former opera singer. As part of her work with preschools taking part in the Sanglau scheme, she teaches members of staff how to sing in the right key so they won't strain children's still-developing vocal cords and shows them how to incorporate gestures and movement into songs to help develop children's linguistic and motor skills. And while this may sound like a lot, Christensen says it really doesn't matter 
if staff aren't pitch perfect. And the, if they like singing but not are good at it, that's not a problem. No, it's about awareness about what are we doing and, and, and what do we get out of it? <laughs> what is the outcome? And uh, to be uh, trained and to see what is, uh, how, how uh, will the children grow with this? And how do we uh, teach the children to, to sing? And how do we have more uh, concentration, focus? How do we have a, a, a safe space? Because that's where the children develops and uh, learn things. Back at Tre Corona Bernhus, the Friday morning sing-along is reaching its high-pitched conclusion. And if anyone's singing out of tune or missing a beat, nobody cares. A few weeks ago, the coronavirus ensured that Tre Krona Bernahus and more than 100 Danish preschools just like it fell eerily silent. This week, though, as they started to reopen after a month-long lockdown, I like to think that they were more joyful and louder than ever. And that brings us to the end of part one. Coming up in part two, we swap musical bars for prison bars and spend the night in one of Denmark's oldest jails. Prisoners have time. That's all they have. So they could either use their time to reflect or watch TV or read a book, or to devise ways to, you know, try to escape. That's historian Henk Nissenboer. And while it's tempting to think he's describing week 10 of life under lockdown, he is in fact talking about one of the most brazen prison escapes in Danish history. Henk is the curator of the Horsens Prison Museum. Located in Midjutland, it's well worth a visit if you have a passion for penitentiary paraphernalia. The museum apparently boasts the world's largest collection of prison items. But as I say, think of this as the first coronavirus episode of Archipelago. And with cabin fever and self-isolation on pretty much everyone's mind, there are a few things about this museum that I want to tease out in this episode. And let's begin with the building's history. Orson's Prison Museum is located in Old Horsens Jail, which opened in the town in 1853. And it took inspiration from the kind of prisons being built back then in Germany, the UK, and the US. Picture, if you can, the penitentiary in the movie The Shawshank Redemption. With its imposing brick walls and barbed wire, Horsens Jail wasn't a million miles from that. And that isn't the only reason that The Shawshank Redemption makes a good reference point for Horsens Prison. You see, if you visit the museum today, you can explore prison cells from different eras and discover the stories of its most infamous inmates, including the notorious escape artist, Carl Lawrenson. He had a knack for um, opening up safes, uh, which he was pretty good at, but he wasn't even better drunk. So he, uh, he, you know, he, could, he would get drunk, he would break in, he would open a safe and he would get caught and he would get sent to prison. And this happened like uh, lots of times. And, and then he gets sent here. And in 1948, he was sent on an infraction down to an isolation cell for a few, in the basement for a few days. And he found out that 
I could escape from here. The following year, he asked the warden if he could move into the isolation cell permanently, and the rest is straight out of Shawshank. Every cell had like a little cupboard, I guess, an open cupboard, and he removed the backplate of that and he started digging out the, the brick. You know, I guess Stephen King has been here before. This is uh, where he escaped through. So you have to imagine this was closed. This was his cell, this is the actual cell. He had a bed, like, like here. At the museum today, you can still see the hole in the wall behind the cupboard in the former isolation cell. Removed it. Wow. And he crawled through there. Yeah, he must have been a very slight man. He was a very tiny man, yeah. Lawrenson was able to crawl through the hole, emerging into a hollow space under the stairs. And from there, Hank says, Lawrenson loosened the floorboards and had free run of the hallway until he reached the first locked door. Not that he was going to let that foil his plans of making a getaway. He had photographic memory of sorts, so he could just look at a guard's key and he could actually replicate it. At one point or the other, he just had the run of the prison, at night, of course. Using wooden boards from the attic and tools he had acquired, Lawrenson got to work on the next stage of his plan. And he just started digging from that hollow space uh, uh, under the stairs, and he just started digging uh, from, from heading um, south and dug, and he dug for 11 months. At the museum, you can see a tunnel much like the one that Lawrenson built. On the night before he was supposed to be moved from his cell, uh, the 23rd of December 1949, he, uh, he dug out, he broke through a, a concrete floor in the warden's home, he popped out, went out through the front door, stole a bike and headed south. That, though, is where the Shawshank parallel ends. Before the week was out, a local farmer caught Lawrenson stealing from his fridge, knocked him out cold, and called the police. Got sent back to prison. So he was out for six days after digging for 11 months. And uh, it's, it's such a great story because people got uh, enamored with him. Because he, he, was, he was genuinely, I mean, he was a criminal, and we shouldn't forget that, but he was genuinely a nice guy. He always left a note when he broke a safe. He left a note here as well. When he left, you know, uh, where, where there's a will, there's a way. The museum is full of stories like Lawrenson's, which isn't surprising really, given that the prison housed many career criminals, including murderers and thieves, some of whom were even executed on site. It's the last ex-used and the last uh, beheading in Denmark. All of which makes it an unlikely, and indeed unsettling, place to be able to stay the night. That's right. You see, the sleep-in hostel group has converted the jail's old infirmary into 22 rooms. As I discovered, though, when I spent a night there last autumn, it isn't exactly the Waldorf Astoria. Forget soft furnishings, minibars or turn-down services. At Fengslet, you get concrete walls and floors, bars across the windows, and a bunk bed that you have to make up yourself with starched white sheets and blankets that come wrapped in plastic. For wall decoration, there's a large black and white photograph of a former inmate. In my case, a man called Mozart Lindbergh, who murdered a hotel porter with an axe in 1903. And for entertainment, there's just this. It's the original cell radio. 
literally the only thing worse than being imprisoned is being imprisoned and having to listen to Enya. The following morning, I caught up with Maria Amelia Levy, who handles communications for Fengsler. And I asked her who she thinks the hostel appeals to. It's for families, it's for couples, it's for people who are just um, maybe they're on vacation and they're going by bike around in the country or, or something and just want this special experience. No kidding. Some guests even come for romance. Yeah, we actually also have guests on honeymoon and we have a honeymoon suite there. Uh, we have actually also had weddings here at the prison. So there's something about this mystical thing about, oh, okay, what is in this prison? Uh, what would it be like to be there and what can you experience? Besides the Spartan surroundings of the cell, the night I spent there was creepy. It was a stormy night, and I was pretty sure I was alone until I heard doors slamming, and I struggled to fall asleep on the starchy sheets of the bunk bed. But I'm glad I did it. It's a memorable and unique experience, and I would recommend it to anyone visiting Horsens, or perhaps wondering what an English boarding school must have been like in the 1950s, or indeed, to anyone experiencing withdrawal symptoms once the lockdown is lifted. Coming here and experiencing what it's like to be in a prison, but you know, being able to leave again is a huge part of it. And, and also criminality just is exciting, I guess. When you go in there, you can see, okay, this is what, what it was like to be in this Horsen State Penitentiary at that time. And that's not all. You see, the new lease of life they've given the prison has helped restore Horson's reputation. They took this thing that has given them a bit of a reputation and just turned it around, because now Fengsled is like a positive thing. And the museum has, has been a large part of this as well. In fact, the former prison is now used for concerts, exhibitions and other special events. I think the whole story of, of, of the Cinderella story of the prison from going from this, this, because it is on the highest point in the city almost, right? So it just looms darkly over the town until it suddenly didn't anymore and became this big cultural happening place. Indeed, not so long ago, you might have struggled to see how a grim 19th century prison could ever become a major tourist attraction. But as its most infamous resident once wrote, where there's a will, there's a way. And that brings us to the end of the episode and indeed to the end of season two of Archipelago. My thanks to the staff at Trey Krona Bernerhus, Sangenshus, the Horsens Prison Museum, and of course, Sleep In Fengsler. The music in this episode is by Copenhagen-based artists, Squares and Triangles, and Scenery. You've been listening to Archipelago. I've been your host, James Clasper, and hopefully we'll be back with a brand new season later this year. Many thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>